This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, UFO sightings in Milwaukee. I found a rather interesting article here from MilwaukeeMag.com, and that's where we found our topics for today, UFO sightings in Milwaukee. It's titled, Stories of Strange and Unusual UFO Sightings in Wisconsin, tucked away in the tangles of the 5,000-plus page government stimulus bill, rest a mandate for the Pentagon to release their intelligence on UFO activity in the U.S. Now, that's the beginning of the article written here by Everett Eaton. Now, as most of you that listen to this podcast already know, there was a little uh, mandate slipped into this recent uh, large bill telling the Defense Department that they have to give up the goods. Now, if you're like me, you probably have a little bit of a trust issue with the Defense Department coming clean on everything they know about UFOs. In fact, this behemoth of an organization, actually, it's not just the Defense Department, it's that it would be more aptly described as the industrial military complex. It's so compartmentalized, and so widespread, and so vast, that it's impossible for me to imagine that there would be any reason or at any point that they would actually give up everything they know. In fact, if you stop and think about our own U.S. military, our Defense Department, and how tangled it is up with all of these for-profit military companies, uh, these companies ranging from the, the, the folks that build missiles and tanks to uh, little companies like DeLong's uh, TSSA company that supposedly is there to investigate UFOs, these private companies can't be foiled. So there, there are literally thousands of places that the Defense Department can bury UFO documentation information in black holes. And I thought about this the other day. I was watching, uh, not to get too far sidetracked, but I was watching uh, an old uh, uh, UFO Hunters episode on YouTube back from 2008. And those guys really did some good work. And they were interviewing Nick Pope on there. And he talks about how when he worked for... Uh, the military, was it the MI, MOD, MID? Anyway, the, the folks in the UK that investigated UFOs, he would tell uh, people not to leave a paper trail. Well, it's kind of odd to think of the guy who now thinks that the government's going to give us disclosure was one of the fellows who went out of their way to make sure disclosure didn't happen. Now, I'm not trying to be critical or, or mean here, but it's just... That's how these operations work. I mean, they're not going to create work for themselves by leaving a paper trail. We've seen this happen over and over again. But yet, people do seem to be hopeful somehow something will come out of this. Now, the article goes on and says, Wisconsin has a long history of UFO sightings and odd occurrences. By July, the Department of Defense is due to disclose what it knows about unidentified flying objects. And, <clears throat> and while though this prospect is exciting, UFO enthusiasts... Many are expecting the incidents to point to unknown technology of a foreign adversary as much as fantastical beings from other worlds. Nevertheless, we figured now was a good time to go over some sightings here in our home state 
From peculiar lights zigzagging across the sky to farmers claiming to have eaten alien pancakes, Wisconsin native Chad Lewis is a paranormal researcher with a degree in psychology and is author of several books, including The Wisconsin Road Guide to Mysterious Creatures. He once interviewed a couple from rural Bloomer who believed they had encountered aliens. Now, if you go to the website ufowarning.com, that's ufowarning.com, I have links to all the articles we talk about here, and I also have a link to this fellow named Chad Lewis, and it does seem like he's done an awful lot of work in paranormal research. It says, late one night, the husband and wife were asleep, when the wife got up to use the bathroom, while walking down the hall, she noticed a strange light through the window. Looking closer, she saw the light was hovering in the forest behind her house. The light crept closer. As it neared the window, she saw the light came from a craft about the size of a small house. Overcome with confusion, she ran to lock the door, but before she got there, the lights began to flash. According to according Lewis, she felt like she was too late because they were already here. Her door swung open on its own, and a fog rolled through the entryway. Through the fog, she saw a hand reach out to grab her, and then everything went dark. Now, as far as alien abductions go, to me, this would just be a, a terrifying situation. This poor woman gets up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night while she's asleep, half asleep anyway, happens to look out the window, sees this light, see this light, begin to flash, and she just almost intuitively knows that this thing is after her. The next thing you know, her door to her house is swinging open on its own accord, and a hand reaches out and grabs her, and then everything goes black. The next thing she knew, she was in her bathroom, watching the strange light moving away back into the woods. The next day, the couple found a burn mark in the backyard. After undergoing hypnosis, she recalled she was taken by aliens. Her story has not been confirmed. Well, whether her story is confirmed or not, this woman had an experience that was upsetting enough to her that she reached out to tell somebody about it. And this, this seems like a classic uh, abduction scenario. And this is why I don't see uh, whatever is doing this, you know, whether it's some sort of top secret government program or whether it's actual uh, some sort of off-planet or interdimensional ETs, I don't see these things as being the nice guys. Having someone show up to your house in the middle of the night, uh, basically render you unconscious, take you aboard their craft or wherever, do whatever they want to to you, and then return you home the next day, is called kidnapping. Okay, That's not an act of kindness. The article goes on and says, More experiences like this one are reported all over Wisconsin. The incidents can be found on the National UFO Reporting Center website, which collects unverified reports. There were several such sightings last year, <clears throat> none of which we remind you have been investigated or verified. On August 17th in rural Superior, a woman and her husband saw a light move across the sky in a zigzag pattern and then disappear into nothing. They saw this several times over the course of a half, but did not get a video or photograph of the events. A few days earlier, on August 4th in Madison, a person noticed a large triangle object above the Capitol building at about 3.30 a.m. Many smaller objects were ejected from the triangle and moved quickly toward the horizon. The main object moved upwards, leaving the atmosphere just before the break of dawn. The next night, at the same time, the object appeared at a higher altitude and remained there until sunrise when it disappeared once more. There are no other reports of an object appearing above 
the Madison Capitol. Now, see, something like this would have been just awesome if somebody could have pulled out their cell phone and gotten a little bit of video for us, or if somebody nearby maybe would have some sort of, uh, you know, uh, camera footage from security cameras or something. Here it says, in Racine on October 7th, of course this would be 2020, someone reported several silver disc-shaped objects hovering over Lake Michigan. They formed a V-shape as they moved. The lead objects glowed red and others were yellow. When they left, they did not move out of sight but vanished. There were no other reports confirming this sighting. Well, this is something that we see over and over again where these objects are... Uh, they're seen, but they don't seem to move away like an airplane would normally or some other kind of object. They just vanish. as if they're. It's almost as if they're interdimensional, or maybe they've got some kind of camouflage thing going on. The article continues. Back in the 60s, the, the reported sightings were often more detailed and fantastical. Lewis cites several astounding reports. John Semitan, a chicken farmer in Eagle River, claimed... He traded water for alien pancakes in 1961. According to his story, three aliens landed in a flying saucer on his property. A door that he said looked like the hood of a car opened up on the side of the craft. The aliens exited the craft and, without verbal communication, gave Simiton a jug. He filled up their jug and they handed him a stack of discs. They were grilling inside the craft, Simiton said. They were the worst-tasting pancakes he had ever eaten. The Air Force investigated the event and concluded that Simiton believed his story was true, but they could not prove the events had actually occurred. They sent the pancakes to the Food and Drug Laboratory to be analyzed. The pancakes were found to have been made of starch, buckwheat, soybeans, wheat bran, and hydrogenated fat, all of which are accessible on Earth. The case was declared unexplained by the Air Force. Now, you have to think this person must have been a fairly convincing witness for the Air Force to rate this as explained. But this type of very highly personal observation of a UFO with the aliens involved is something that we see from time to time. And I almost find this to be the observer effect at work, where, for instance, in this case, the aliens are giving him pancakes. We've seen this kind of thing happen uh, with many of the uh, airship sightings from the 1890s, where people saw these UFO craft shaped in what they would have recognized as a large uh, blimp or hot air balloon of some type. And then oftentimes they would have conversation with aliens who looked very much human-like and talking about uh, maybe even some mundane event or something that was about to happen in the future. All very personalized experiences that they had with whoever or whatever it was that was piloting these ships. Now, when you consider the number of uh, shape-shifting observations we've made, you know, and we've come to conclusions of in the latter years, I've come to the belief that these craft that look like uh, large blimps or hot air balloons from the 1890s, 1900s, that was simply the closest uh, thing that the observer could uh, compare these things to. It was what would fit into their uh, realm of possibilities. I'm not seeing these things so much as a mechanical uh, device, more as a more like an interdimensional uh, phenomena. Much like the much like the government has said, we're moving from unidentified flying objects to unidentified aerial phenomena. It's almost as if we're going from airplanes to ghosts. So I think it's important to 
uh, discriminate between the two types of sightings that we see here. And this is a good example of that. And it goes on, it says, Elmwood has known, this is Elmwood, Wisconsin, has become known as the UFO capital of Wisconsin, in part stemming from a 1976 UFO sighting by police officer George Wheeler. Wheeler was on duty when he spotted an orange glow near the quarry at Turtle Hill. He assumed it was a fire and drove over to check it out, but when he arrived, he saw a ship overhead, which he described as silver and larger than a two-story house with an orange beam emitting from the top. My God, it's one of those UFOs again, he said over the radio. There was a loud whooshing sound, and a ray shot out of the UFO and struck his cruiser. The car's spark plugs were blown out. Think about that. This is an old 1978. I think it was like a Ford LTD or something. Blew the plugs out of the out of the car. Now, I don't know if you've ever put spark plugs in a car before, especially these old cars from back in the 70s, 80s. I mean, you had to really screw those plugs in there. So these things are threaded in. So it blew the plugs out of the car. That's That's actually amazing to me. And the lights stopped working. The story's veracity has never been confirmed. Well, excuse me. The spark plugs were blown out. Something was confirmed. <laughs> but the interest in that sighting and others has continued in Elmwood as the village has celebrated a UFO Days festival every July since 1978. Now, there were a couple other sources for a couple of these um, sightings that were mentioned here. Um, and I found uh, one here. Just give me one second. It seems like this was from 1974, December 2nd. Now, this is the one I think that you mentioned earlier. It says, uh, 1974 occupant case in Wisconsin, William Bozak encounter. This is kind of an interesting one. This is from thinkaboutitdocs.com. It says, date December 2nd, 1974, sighting time, 10.30 p.m. at night, of course, location, Frederick, Wisconsin, a rural, a rural road and a Heineck classification of CE3. And then it goes on, it says, size of object, 8 to 10 feet in height. It says, source, APRO, Bolton, volume 23, number 4, January 1975. Dewey, Burchild, and Edward Leitner, Jerry Clark. Summary, farmer William Bosack, 68, who had who had what he termed as a hair-raising experience on December 2nd, 1974. As he was driving home, he spotted an object on the left side of the road ahead of him. It had a curved front of the glass, and inside I could see a figure with its arms raised above its head. Basically, what he's seeing is this large alien-type creature encapsulated in this, what he described as like a glass, a bullet-shaped container, it says, Farmer William Bosick, 68, of rural Frederick, Wisconsin, that's located, it says, in Polk County, Northwest Section, had what he termed as a hair-raising experience at 10.30 p.m. on December 2nd, 1974. Mr. Bosick had attended a Fanners Co-op meeting in, Feder in Frederick and was driving to his rural home southeast of Frederick when at about one mile from his farm, he spotted an object on the left side of the road ahead of him. He had been driving slowly because of patches of fog, and his headlights reflected off the object, so he slowed as he approached it. Quote, It had a curved front of the glass, and inside I could see a figure 
with its arms raised above its head. Bozik told reporters, when later interviewed by field investigator Everett E. E. Leitner, Bozik said that the newspaper account, which appeared in the St. Paul Pioneer Press, was basically accurate except that the ears on the human he saw inside were placed higher on the head. The object was standing still and appeared to be between 8 and 10 feet in height. The transparent glass area through which Bosick could view the occupant was bullet-shaped at the top, or tapered to a peak. Hand slowed nearly to a stop when he came up to the object, but then fear took over and he stepped on the accelerator and left the object behind. He said that when he did so, the inside of his car became dark, and he heard a swooshing sound like branches of a tree brushing against the car. Boy, if that wouldn't get your attention, I don't know what would. The human, as Bosick referred to it, had hair sticking out from the sides of its head with ears protruding out about three inches, and they were shaped like a calf's ear. It had no collar or shirt with a seam in front, but appeared to be clothed in something tannish brown in color and fitted skin tight like a diver's suit. Both arms were extended above its head, and hair stuck out from the outside of the arms. There was no beard. Both arms were extended above its head, and hair stuck out from the outside of the arms. Wow. There was no beard, but there was hair or fur on the upper part of the body. I'm a little confused here because he says it looks like it had a, a fitted shirt over, but then he describes the hair coming off the chest. There was no beard, but there was hair or fur in the upper part of the body. The rest of it, from the waist down, was not visible because of the fog. The object itself was not lighted, but reflected light from the headlights of Mr. Bozik's car. Mr. Bozik returned to the location the next day to search for any landing marks or evidence of its presence, but found nothing. He said he was very frightened at the time, but the look on the face of the occupant of the craft indicated that it was frightened too. Its eyes were very large and protruding. Now this puts me to mind of some of these um, some of these creatures that have been reported by abductees on these UFO craft. You know, lots of stories about um, basically human animal mixes, uh, mixing different kinds of animals together, finding strange creatures on these things. Some really uh, disturbing, upsetting stuff. And it's almost you wonder if this. Poor creature, whatever it was that he saw there along the road, if this thing just ha just didn't happen to blink in there through some sort of interdimensional, you know, haphazard accident, if it was deposited there by a UFO, we really are left with a lot of questions. It says Bozak kept the experience to himself for nearly a month, not even telling his wife and son, but finally decided to divulge the incident. And then it says, a later, it must have been a it must have been later. Later that night, attempted to view the area where the incident had occurred from the vantage point of his house was unsuccessful due to fog. I was so gosh darn scared, gold darn scared, I was afraid to go out at night for a few days. He told reporters later and said he wished that he had had somebody with him in the car at the time. After reflecting on the experience for a few weeks, Bozik said that he felt he did the wrong thing by speeding away from the object. 
and should have stopped and tried to show it was friendly. Tried to show it I was friendly. I wish I could meet up with it again. I would not advise someone to do that. I've read too many articles where people have uh, gotten out in the presence of these UFOs, gotten too close to them, gotten in the way of what seems like some kind of an energy beam coming down from them, touched them, ended up with what is clearly radiation poisoning. Um, you're dealing with something that it, obviously is far advanced as far as technology goes to us. You have no idea whether this thing is good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, you're taking a lot of chances by putting yourself at risk. My advice would be to observe from a distance and, you know, quietly leave the area. It says, uh, Mr. Light... Oh, here we go. It says, Bozak, who has operated a 450-acre dairy farm east of Frederick for the past 40 years, said that prior to his Friday experience in December, he had been skeptical of stories about UFOs, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be skeptical after hearing what happened to me. But if people don't believe me, I'll take a lie detector test to prove this isn't just something I made up. Mr. Leitner, who investigated the case, found Bosick to be a sincere man and a man with good reputation in his community. What I find about interesting, especially about this, okay, so that the observer here uh, operates a four, and owns and uh, owns and operates a 450-acre dairy farm, and he describes um, the ears on this creature, on this humanoid creature, as being calf's ears. You have to wonder if this is something he's projecting from himself onto it, or if this creature is some sort of human-bovine hybrid that just happens to be showing up near this dairy farm to do who knows whatever. We know the fascination these things seem to be having with cattle and all the cattle mutilation stuff. So it's particularly interesting to me that this guy describes this 8 to 10 foot tall humanoid creature with calf's ears that stick out from the sides of the head, and the sighting occurs pretty close to this 450-acre dairy farm. You just don't know. Anyway, I found all those cases pretty interesting. There's another one there. There's a link to the one where the police officer um, had the sighting with the UFO, and that was his second sighting, apparently. You can go to ufowarning.com and take a look at that and read it. I found it really uh, fascinating. Sometimes it's fun to go back into these old, older sightings from the 60s and 70s where they're still recent enough that you can get some pretty decent information on them. And when you can find the actual quotes from the eyewitnesses, many of which have passed on now, it really it just brings these sightings to life. And I think what I find a lot in these sightings from the 50s, 60s, and 70s is that they're not trying to impress anybody. They're not trying to uh, make it more than what it was. They're just reporting the facts, the basic facts, just as they saw them. And like this guy, this farmer, what does he have to gain by reporting this bizarre sighting of an alien along the side of the road, you know, contained in this clear, transparent container, whatever it was? I mean, what would he have gained by that, other than for people to think he was, you know, out of his mind or was trying to seek attention? These are the kind of sightings I think bring real relevance to what we're looking at. This is the kind of disclosure that I'm looking for. I'm not so hopeful about getting disclosure in June from the Defense Department. I have no, I have no faith that they're going to give us anything but maybe a sure-coded version of, hey guys, we don't know anything. But when you get these first-hand accounts of just normal, everyday people, and they they seem like reasonable, believable people. These are the kind of people that 
I find we can get the most information from. Quite frankly, they're most fun to read. Uh, would just like to say thanks to everybody that's contributed to the program. It seems like I picked up a couple of sponsors. That, that you can, And if you want to do that, you can go on to the Anchor website and do that. It's a big help. And until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.